Meaning, uh, we stopped counting children after we reached 50, the number. We just said, well, we're okay. We, get, we have enough. And we had a lot of people here that helped out. And uh, thank you for all you who helped out pre-one-day um, uh, fun day. And then those who helped out during the one-day fun day. And uh, those who helped out after the one-day fun day, the, the teardown. It's a lot of work. So thank you so very much to every single one of you uh, who participated, those who helped out as well. Uh, let me just uh, reiterate what was announced this morning, that uh, we do have some, some work that needs to be done in the uh, foyer area. Uh, that carpet's uh, being uh, removed, and so we'll need to remove all the tables. It's not just one day fun day, but everything uh, in the foyer area needs to go away after services uh, this morning. But prior to that, we'll have potluck. So I guess the plan is we'll eat, we'll become really full, and then we'll just work all the food off, right? So we could really use your help if you wouldn't mind uh, helping us out with that as well. We praise God for your attendance this morning, those who are here um, present and those who are online. Let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. A gracious and wonderful Heavenly Father, we do praise your holy and divine name. And we thank you, Lord God, and we lift your name up. Help us, Lord God, to remember where we are. We are, Lord God, in your presence. And this morning we are worshiping you. We pray that you'll bless us, that our worship will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, and that you, O oh God, will help us to remove all worldly thought from our minds and from our hearts. Bless us never to forget Jesus and that amazing sacrifice that was made in our behalf that we might live. Thank you, Lord God, for this day, for bringing us to this day, another day and opportunity to say thank you to you and to praise and worship you. These things we pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, if it be thy will. Amen. Please turn to Matthew chapter 23. We certainly welcome our visitors. We thank you for honoring us this morning and honoring you being here to honor God. The log and the speck. I was, uh, we looked at James and we studied James. We had a few lessons on, on that. And there's just, we could spend a lot of time on James. But we, we, we exited James and the question came up, well, what about judging? Let's talk more about about righteous judging. And I, I thought, well, that's a very good question. I really appreciated that being presented as uh, an opportunity or something to preach on. I'm always open to topics to preach on for us because whatever helps us, that's what's important, right? And so as you think about the idea of, of righteous judgment, we got to think about something before we get to righteous judgment because it's easy to, to, to blame all of my judgment on righteous judgment. So let's learn how to judge first the way God wants us to, and then let's turn to righteous judgment. We'll get there later in our, in our lesson. But today, we're going to talk about that big old, the metaphor, I guess, the log in someone's eye and the speck in another's. The log and the speck. So humans are very critical. We, we, we can be very critical in our thinking, and we're very easy, uh, I guess, easily persuaded or we can persuade others as well to, to accept my justification. Right? I have an opinion about you, you have an opinion about me, and at some point in life we, we either uh, become so torn down from all the opinions or we become hardened. I mean, things just happen, right? The pendulum just swings one way uh, or the other. It, it seems like the opinionated mind and thoughts oftentimes prove to be actually shallow, right? 
And I know this may be a little offensive to all of us if we've ever been there on that side of the fence where you, you realize later that you actually, your opinion was a little more shallow. You thought it was deep for a moment, but then you thought about what you said and you didn't think about it until you heard what you actually said. You ever been there before? And so we get this idea of we, we have the right to, to just to have a judgment about every single matter in every person's life. And then people become offended and we have, we have struggles. Now, now, am I making this up? Absolutely not. It's in the Bible. Right, look, at, look at Matthew 23. You see, the Pharisees, they did this. They were, they were experts at judging everyone else. And they formulated, if you will, the idea in their minds that salvation rested on them. I mean, if they had a judgment, then that had to be it. And that was the way to do it. You go, you read all, if you read it, Matthew 23. All the judgments that they had about people how they intertwined doctrine with judgment and then made it fit and said, see, well, that's not the way this works, is it? That's false doctrine, actually, you see. So we want to be careful not to be uh, accused of, of doing that or having that kind of mindset. Because Jesus has something to say. So Matthew 23, beginning at verse 1. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. And therefore, all they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So it's, it's easy to tell everybody else what to do, but... Are you doing those things? Luke chapter 13. And then we formulate these ideas in our heart and our minds that these things have to be done and we'll call these things salvation issues or or issues that are a matter of of importance to the Lord's church. The Lord's church, and, and, and even in the world, right? It's not just the church. Everywhere you go, people have so many opinions. From the way you color. You ever You ever painted your house? Or, or painted something, and then, or your car, or something, and, and someone came along, one of your neighbors, and said, I don't think I like that color. <laughs> and, you ever, you ever, and you had to say to them, well, I'm paying the mortgage, so I <laughs> thought it would be okay if I painted. Right? I mean, they're just so, we just have so much going on. Luke 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. I want to show you how dangerous this is. And behold, there was a, a woman with who for 18 years had... A sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double. So, so think about this woman's pain and suffering. She was in this, this pain and this suffering for 18 years. And could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. He laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official said, I'm so thankful that God freed you from this terrible situation that you were in and he blessed you in every way and wow this is beautiful and they gave glory to God and all was well 
Is it, that's not even in the verse, is it? I hate when I do that. The synagogue, verse 14, official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude in response, there are six days in which work should be done. Therefore, come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now, let's bend him over double for 18 years. And what do you think he would have said? He would not have said that. Right? But because it was someone else, it was easy to say, well, you know, the law says, of which he had no understanding of, Right? Because there are sundry laws which permits a man to do these types of things on the Sabbath day. But those weren't important. What was important was the fact that he was a synagogue official, and so he was in charge, and he's going to say what he wants to say, and do what he wants to do, and he didn't care what anyone else thought about him. And everyone else sits back and says, how could you be so careless as a leader to only think about yourself? terrible right he didn't even recognize that god was standing right in front of him he didn't even recognize the power of the holy spirit and the miracle that had been done and the amazing blessing and gift that had been that had come upon this woman he didn't even recognize that because he was so stuck in himself you ever you ever been there before on one side or the other of that issue it doesn't end there verse 15 but the Lord answered him and said you hypocrite does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him isn't that a work isn't that mercy See, sometimes it's, it's sad that some of us have more compassion for animals than we do for humans. We know that's true too, have we? We've seen that. Jesus says, now I want you to think about what just happened. In verse 16 he says, This woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, your sister, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, the enemy has bound her for 18 long years. It was Satan's work. He brought this evil into this woman's life for 18 long years. And you have more compassion for your animal than you have for this woman. There's something wrong with this picture. And this woman, verse 16, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? What does the Bible say? Verse 17. And as he said this, all of his opponents were being humiliated. And their entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. And thank God that, that, that some folks had enough common sense and godliness to say, Praise God for this amazing work. Because we know... That under the Sabbath law, that this is not forbidden. In other words, Jesus, our perfect Savior, did nothing wrong. Oh, but there was a man who wanted to execute righteous judgment. And he was so wrong, 
See, in order, in order to understand righteous judgment, we first have to understand the log and the speck. We first have to understand what it means to be partial toward others. We first have to understand what God says about mercy, don't we? Let's keep going. John chapter 9. They became so good at judging others that, that even the Messiah, this is amazing, right? Even the Messiah was, was on, the, on the chalking block. You know, he's on the chopping block too. We're going to get you next, Jesus. We're coming after Jesus right now. Well, they tried that. John chapter 9, verse 13. Personal judgment. Personal judgment. They brought to the Pharisees him who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Again, therefore, the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes. I washed and I I see. (laughs) Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God. Because he does miracles from God. So therefore, wait, I don't know how that works out. (laughs) Right? They, They never even listened to their own. They didn't even listen to their own thought process. Right? This man is not from God, they said, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them because they had common sense. Right? Common sense says, wait a minute, this guy's been born blind. He's been blind all of his life. And this man, Jesus, walks up to him, puts clay on his eyes, anoints him, tells him to go wash. He goes and washes. He comes back, and he can see. Now, now, I don't know about you, but there's something in that passage that makes me say, wow. <laughs> wow. But, but you know, other folks, you know, other folks have different things to say. No. Jesus cannot be from God because... If he from, were from God, he wouldn't have... Wait a minute. Maybe at that point you think about your thinking and say, wait a minute, maybe I ought to re-evaluate uh, or take a second look at my understanding of the Scriptures. Because in order for this man to do this kind of work, he has to be from God. I ought to go back and reevaluate my doctrine. I ought to go back and reevaluate how I how I got to this or formulated this idea in my mind. Verse 20, 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Now were they saying give glory to God or were they saying, Hey, come on and just side with us. <laughs> come say what we say, believe what we believe, and just don't worry about what your, what your own eyes can now see. Don't worry about that. Just agree with us. Will you do that? That's what they really meant when they said give glory to God. Because we know what goes on in their secret meetings. See, Nicodemus said, we know that Jesus is from God. For no man can do the things he does unless he's from God. Unless God is with him. And that's in John chapter 3. So we know the Pharisees know the truth. But they're, they're not really concerned about the truth. They're only concerned about themselves. And you know what happens? When you find yourself, we find ourselves concerned with ourselves and not the truth. We may, our souls are going to be in jeopardy. Look at verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. 
Nicodemus in John 3 said, we know he's from God. The Pharisees, the ruler of the Jews said, we've had our meeting, we know he is from God. So now they're lying just to justify themselves. They go on. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God is not here sinners, but if a man, uh, excuse me, if anyone is from God or God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So they answered him, oh, that's a good, yeah, you're right. We need to rethink this, our doctrine and try to figure this out. We could be wrong. Uh, maybe we met, that's not how it ends, is it? Verse 34 says, They answered and said to him, You were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? And they put him out. Put him out of the synagogue. And yet when you read John 9, verse 1 and 2, Jesus said that man never sinned. He didn't, he didn't sin. It was for the glory of God. God had already pre, preordained, if you will, that this day would happen, this event would happen, this opportunity would happen. It had nothing to do with sins. They never took a step back to think about to think about maybe they were wrong look at verse 39 the cause of their souls and jesus said for judgment i came into this world that those who do not see may see that those who see may become blind those of the pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him we're not blind too are we Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Someone might say, you, your problem is you know too much. But you really don't know anything at all. You ever been there? Matthew, please, chapter 23. See, this blindness, this self-inflicted blindness, was because they just wanted to be right. No humility. You've got to reevaluate your life. When, you, when, you're, when you're studying the Bible, how, you know, when, you, when you're sitting down and you're, and you're reading the book, just, just let God talk to you about you. God, tell me about me. I don't want to worry about everybody else. Just talk to me about me. And, and some of you don't realize when you leave out and you say, what, preacher, thank you for that sermon. It's a good sermon. I go, yeah, it was about me. I don't mind looking into the mirror. Do you? Life in God and life in general is all about a self-reflection. We have to continually look in the mirror at ourselves so we don't find ourselves becoming overly righteous, Right? Are overly wise, if you will, in our own minds, in our own estimation, and then start binding things on everybody else, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Verse 13, the Bible says in Matthew 23, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you shall receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and 
Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one a proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. See what happens? You start teaching him your ways instead of teaching him what the book says. Church, we we got to think about this, right? Turn back to Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew 7. We got to think about this. I mean, it's easy to go to righteous judgment. We, we're going to get there, but we, we've got to understand this part first before we can consider ourselves righteous enough to make the judgment. You heard that? I, before we can consider ourselves righteous enough to make the judgment, you've got to understand this first. I have to make sure that I'm not making a judgment for myself, but rather I'm making one for God and God alone. This is God's judgment and not mine. Right? Okay, we're going to look at Matthew 7. Verse 1, listen to what it says. Do not judge, lest you be judged. Now, what we know about this verse, this verse is not saying that if you don't judge anyone for any reason at all, you'll never be judged by God. Well, that, that, that's not what the text is saying, right? Hebrews 9, 27, uh, it's appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. We know the judgment is going to come. We, we've got that um, without a shadow of a doubt. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. Uh, go, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, Solomon gives all the wisdom and when he's finished with all of his wisdom he, he gives us some very important information. He says the conclusion when all has been heard. right? When you look at the whole picture when, the, when it's all finished the conclusion. Ecclesiastes 12 13. When all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And then John 12, Jesus is speaking in verse 48, and he's talking about salvation, and he talks about the judgment day, or judging, and he says in verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. So thank God that we don't have to be the judge. Isn't that great? I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful I'm not the judge. I would have I would have issues trying to be the judge. Matthew 7, please. Because I don't know everything. Right? And I and I don't I don't know enough about about this subject, if you will, to be able. I don't know the whole Bible, do you? So I, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, you miss one point somewhere in the Old Testament or the New as you, as you, you know, the Old Testament brings out the, the foundation and then the New Testament reveals the information and you miss something and you miscalculate or you misjudge someone and then they walk away from the Lord's church and then their blood's on you. I don't have shoulders big enough for that. I'm not carrying that load. So Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2 says, Do not judge lest you be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And so, what God is saying to us, if you only have that much mercy, when you stand before God, you, you, you set your own standard. <laughs> we, we ought to be just, just people full of mercy and grace, right? Proverbs, please. I'm not saying in any way. I'm not saying we don't look at the Bible. I'm not talking about that. We're, talk, we're letting God be the judge. But when I step up in the seat of God, Matthew 21, 
There, there may be trouble at the gate one day for me. Verse 2 says, Every man is right in his own eyes. See, there's a the problem right there. Right? I'm always right. No, Tony, you're not always right. right. I know that. No preacher, you're not always right. No elders, you're not always right. No deacons, you're not always right. No fathers, you're not always right. No mothers, you're not always right. No fathers, no husbands, no... I mean, you know, the list goes on. We're just not always right. Have you ever believed something all of your life because you only learned it one way and then lo and behold, one day you realize, wait a minute. You ever been there before? Well, of course you have because you went from serving Satan to serving God. You surrendered to Jesus. Why did you change? Because you realized you were wrong. See, we've all been there. We've all been there on, on different levels in our lives. Uh, Proverbs 21 and verse, verse 2. Every man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Right? Proverbs 16 and verse 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Right? They're clean in his own sight. But the Lord weighs the motives. Right? The motive of a man. The motive. The motive. What's your motive? And then I love Proverbs 18. Just using this principle here. In, in verse um, 17. The first to plead his case seems just until another comes and examines him. That's why you have cross-examination, right? You ought to cross-examine yourself as well, right? Say, oh, this is what I believe to be true, but let me just take a good... Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 38. And, I, and I, I, want to, I, want, I want to give you an example, and then we'll come back Ludwig again with this next week. I'll give you a different example. I want to give you an example of, of the danger of this, this thought of being so judgmental or personal judgment, and that's what we're calling it. I used to call it I City USA, <laughs> right? You live in my city, you follow my rules, right? Well, then I learned later on it really wasn't my city at all. So Judah... Uh, he had two sons. They were wicked. They were very, very evil. They were so bad that God killed them. Right? And Judah made this vow. Right? Judah. The, you know, who later became the tribe of Judah. Right? Of Israel. He made this vow. In verse 11. To Tamar, the widow. Judah. Verse 11. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Her husband just passed on. Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up for he thought i'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers so tamar went and lived in her father's house so judah thought well god's not really that just i mean god killed two of my boys he's going to kill this one too well no your boys were evil you ever done that church you ever you know you know your children okay never mind the boys were evil, right? That's why they died, because they were evil. Because they were, they were very evil people. God killed them. Sheila wasn't like them. He lived. But, but Judah makes a promise, a vow to Tamar. He says, look, let, you know, let, let Sheila grow up, and I'll give him to you as a husband. I want you to remain a widow. And so she sacrifices her life for the next whatever number of years to fulfill this, uh, this, this promised agreement that they have with each other. In verse 13, 
And it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enaim, which is on the road of Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given or he had not been given to him as a wife. So he didn't keep his promise. <laughs> Sheila's grown up. By now we should be married. And this, verse 15. And when Judah saw her, he, he thought she was a harlot for uh, he, she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And then he gives her a pledge. She has a signet ring and a staff and smart. And then Judah, if you, if you read from Genesis 38 backwards, there, there's nothing from Genesis 1 to Genesis 38 as far as a law from God regarding prostitution. There's no law. So Judah formulates, there's no written law, let me say it in that way. So Judah formulates this idea of what should happen to a prostitute. In verse 24, Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot, and behold, she's also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned hmm. I think we should talk about that before I close out what do you think who's a liar in this account <laughs> Judah who, who paid for the prostitute <laughs> Judah why is she a prostitute she's not really a prostitute why did this situation happen because of Judah I mean it all comes back to Judah right but he has this idea Judah never thinks about the fact you know three months ago you weren't so righteous yourself, buddy. See how we forget? Ah, we willfully forget, don't we? Now he's angry and upset because the, the daughter-in-law that he lied to, never fulfilled his promise, was wicked himself and evil before God. Now she goes off and she finally just, she says, I'm going to go live my life. And she goes and lives her life. And, and Judah has an opinion about this situation, about this matter. But he never applies his opinionated idea to himself. We've said it before, what, you know, it's good for the woman, but it's not good for the man, or it's good for the man, but it's not good for the... This is what got us in the, in the trouble in our world today about male chauvinism and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's got us into so much trouble because we forget to look to self. Okay, so look. He says she needs to die. But you all know the account, right? You know it. You've read it a, a million times over. <laughs> Let's just jump down to verse 25 so I can let you go. 25 and 26. And it was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. She said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff these are. And Judah recognized them and said, they're not mine. <laughs> That's not what he said. 
He said, she is more righteous than I. Didn't he already know that? I mean, now he's caught. You know, so this is what happens, right? We, sometimes we just, we fess up. We're honest when all the evidence comes out and we can't deny it any longer. He already knew that she was more righteous than he. But he says, she is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not have relations with her again. Now, my question is, which person stood up and said, okay, are we going to start the burning or not? Because that was his decree. Oh, no. Oh, we know that. You know, I don't know what I was thinking, and we're not going to do that. That was silly of me. And why? Because you're about to be burned? Because you're guilty of the same sin. See how that works? It really doesn't work, does it? It really doesn't work. And the Bible has something to say about that. You know, when I judge others and I'm doing the same thing, what's wrong with you, preacher? Right? Okay, let's, let's close. James chapter 2. I hope you'll come back and... And, and by the way, this is back to James. He's the preacher here. And, and come back and let, let James preach. James chapter 2. Um, I want to look at um, verse, verse 8. Whenever I point the finger at other people in personal judgment, I probably should always remember three of them are pointing back at me. I should always remember that should always be willing to be honest. Right? Honest. Honesty. Integrity. Right? Honest and a man full of integrity. should always look to myself first. Doesn't the Bible say that? We'll get there next week, Lord willing. When you go to restore someone, first look to yourself. Right? Look at me first. So James says. Verse, um, verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. So there's the, there's the principal verse, right? Everybody in here has committed sin. All of us have issues. All of us, like I said last week, have skeletons in the closet. We have secrets. We have things that we're ashamed of. All of us. If you say you don't have one, we know what it is, right? It's lying. Because Jesus said, no one's righteous. No, not one. And he even said, call no man good. None. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you, God. Aren't you happy this morning to know that God is not like us? Or maybe I'll say it in this way, that God is not like me. I know I'm happy. Thank you, God, that you are not like me. You know, that's the one thing that made me realize uh, the fall in the Bible was right because it didn't agree with me. 
And I was like, wait a minute, that's not what I've been taught. Wait a minute, that's not how I'm living my life. Wait a minute, that's... This morning, the lesson is yours. I hope and pray something was said just to kind of give us uh, uh, a different perspective, maybe. The beginning of a different perspective, if nothing else, about, about righteous judgment. We're going to get to righteous judgment, but we just can't get there until we look into the mirror. And this morning, perhaps you looked in the mirror at yourself, and perhaps there are things you would like prayers uh, made for on your behalf. Perhaps uh, you'd like us to pray with you as a congregation, and the elders will pray with you and pray for you. This morning, if you're not a child of God, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to become one and surrender to God. Let him be your judge. And what God says is that all men have sinned. And we've got to get those sins washed away. And the only way to get those sins washed away is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way to contact that blood is in the watery grave of salvation. Because you've got to die. The Bible says we have to die and be resurrected. That to hear his word and believe it, we have to repent of our sins, confess his name before uh, mankind, and be baptized, immersed in water for their mission of your sins and then just stay faithful and true to the end. If there's anything we can do to help you this morning, please come. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my